As an educator, you want what's best for your students. You want them to succeed academically and emotionally. But how do you do it? For some reason in education, we get real pushback when we try to think differently. We try to make everything work, and we have to understand there's going to have to be some sacrifice. So we adjust time based on student learning. And when you have that all day long in your schedule, you know, you're going to be excited to get up in the morning. From creative instructional practices to school models and ideas big and small, Reimagining Time is a podcast that will tell the stories of real educators like you and how they've used their imagination to transform their schools and enrich students' lives. In the last episode, we heard from Florida Principal John Weaver as he expressed why his school's flex period is so valuable. Flex has so many things attached to it that I probably, if I made a list right now being one of the leaders in the building, I probably wouldn't address them all, honestly, because it, it, it is the lifeblood of every teacher and student's building. After hearing about the amazing results at his school, you might be wondering, how can my school create a flex period? Or if you already have one, Keep listening for some ideas to make it even better. But let's start at the beginning, pre-implementation. What do you do? The most important piece behind it, just like any initiative you're going to do in a building, is to get your rock star lead teachers, rap stars, whatever you want to call them, you know, get their buy-in. Because from there, you can step back as a leader and let them run the shows. Once, once that system's in place, and it's built by your stakeholders, so having that building buy-in, building a flex team, or whatever you want to call it, have that flex rockstar team put together prior to implementation and have them tackle everything. At Enriching Students, we've seen a pattern that schools who have a successful flex period are the ones who have some kind of flex team like this, made up of teachers and staff members that take the lead. Prior to implementation, this team dives into inquiry about the process and leads discussions. There's another thing that will help too, and that's seeing another school's already successful flex period in action. We probably met with over 13 to 14 different schools. I mean, we traveled to different states before we implemented ours. Heard a lot of the same things, got some new ideas, but um, a lot of the same things that we questioned, we stopped questioning when we kept hearing them from different sites and just said, okay, we got to do this. We'll find out why later, but we know we need to do certain things. Seeing examples from all these different schools can do something no amount of reading will. It's like a live case study. Seeing Flex in action, pre-implementation, will help your team to see what you want Flex to look like at your school, what's going to work and what's not. And then the next step is running a pilot before charging full steam ahead and doing a full implementation. So basically the most important thing would be to run a pilot the preceding year. I can tell you about ours. We ran our pilot with about 16, 17 teachers years ago in the second quarter. When, once that pilot's built and you have the success, our pilot at the end of the one quarter was um, resulted in absolutely no Ds in any of the classes. So you're dealing with 17 teachers, which is upwards of over hundred thousand students possibly. And the only Fs you had were students who were chronically true, never here at all. Every other student ended up with an A, B, or C. And these are students who would otherwise struggle throughout the day, loved it because they were getting pulled back. Doing a pilot gives everyone a test run and no doubt it will have its challenges but it also gives staff a chance to see the successes. That success during the pilot is going to help build buy-in and convince staff and students school-wide that there is value to adding a flex period. But speaking of buy-in, it's also important to make it clear what the motive is, what this is all about. 
when this is built in, this time is set for whatever the students need. And now, because we're in our fourth year, everyone knows this, but when you're trying to build it in, what you've got to hammer home early on with your staff, as well as your students and the stakeholders that are involved, is that this is a win time. Call it any name you like, but it really is win or what I need time. Because that's the goal, helping students get what they need. But what about the details and the planning? How does the Flex team go about the process of actually doing the work? What do they need to take into account to build it into the schedule? Certain things need to be figured out. For example, when should it be during the day? How long should it be? How do you keep it organized? That's a lot of questions. To start, when should Flex happen during the school day? Is there an optimal time? So what has to happen then is depending on what you look at your schedule, ideally the best time of the day is to do it right smack dab in the middle. Typically before lunch is best just because you can, you know, it helps out with that break. Why is this the ideal time? For one thing, it ensures Flex will be available to the entire student population. So the main benefit is the students who need the most amount of support won't get here early or can't and won't stay late or cannot for reasons. Um, a lot of it has to do with domestic reasons. Your most needed support students have to have that time during the day because they just physically cannot get here for one reason or another before or after school. On top of that, the benefit is you want it in the middle of the day because the students that come in late, attendance has increased both in my prior school and the one I've you know, currently in attendance has increased with flex being in the middle of the day because even students who are late to school who would otherwise throw in the towel and not show up thinking the day is shot know they can get what they need from the classes they miss. So attendance increases throughout. We've probably all been there in some way or another. Maybe you're trying to eat healthy, but then you mess up and feel like a failure. Of course, that's not productive thinking, and that kind of self-defeating guilt can get in the way of doing the things you really want to do. If a student knows they won't be able to get to school on time, they might feel like there's no point in going at all. A flex period, of course, isn't the solution to all problems, but at least with this dedicated time during the day, in the middle of the day, a student knows that there is this time to get the support they need, whether that means catching up on what they missed or checking in with a trusted adult. Disciplines have dramatically dropped because you have that social emotional support that's built in on a daily basis. The students know what they need. This also helps the students that have to leave early because they're involved in other academic programs. Simply put, it's more likely that most students will be in school in the middle of the school day, right before lunch. Basically throughout the day, the meetings in the middle of the day, we want to have assemblies and everything during flex or class rosters. The majority of your population will be present that day, you know, much greater likelihood than the beginning or the end as well. So having a flex period in the middle of the day helps all students get the benefits from it. But what about the length of a flex period? Then you have to decide on what you want that length of time to be. I know some of the schools are on the four by four block, which I came from, and I'm a tremendous advocate of. You know, they have it about under 40 minutes. I want to say they go about 35 minutes. It's in there. Most often, flex is a little less than the length of a full class period, about 30 to 45 minutes in length. Some schools, though, choose to make it as long as a regular class period, and others have actually modified their schedule so that there is a full flex day. It really comes back to, of course, what you're able to do, but also what your student population would benefit from the most. But there are even more logistics to consider, and something else your school may encounter when trying to create a flex period. The pushback. And it will likely revolve around time, 
and how you can possibly fit a flex period into an already packed master schedule. And then the logistics are very important, but um, once that time is built in, you know, it's then making the staff understand everything because the biggest kickback you're going to get right away is I'm losing five to seven minutes off my period, da, 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 da. So what it does is it does shorten the period length, okay, which does enhance the actual instructional process because in the back of instructor's mind, they have less time. So at least that next year you're going into it, you'll see a bit of urgency. We've seen that across the board. I saw it in my school when I was a teacher years ago, and I saw it here a couple of years ago when we implemented it. So if you need to take a few instructional minutes from other blocks, all is not lost. There are state requirements schools have to meet, but other than that, in some ways, losing a few minutes could be a good thing, as it may help teachers focus on what's essential. But besides that, we've had other educators who have taken this approach express that they're not really losing time. Essentially, they're gaining another block or period for the students who need it the most. And if a student doesn't need help, they really don't need that additional few minutes of instructional time anyways. So at John's school, how did they fit a flex block in? Our benefit was that we already had the block of time built into a day. And a lot of schools do. They have a study hall. The kids don't move. There's minimal movement via archaic old you know, um, paper passes and everything. But it's nowhere near the upwards of eight to a thousand we have a day on here. So basically once that's put into place and built into the schedule, the logistics then, then become, okay, how do we make it then efficient for the teacher so everyone has a fair shot? That's where the priority days are built in. So you want to build priority days in for subject areas. If you're on a block schedule, it's rather easy because you can fit your first block, second block, third and fourth, meaning Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Monday's first, Tuesday, second, third, and then Friday can be an open club type day. If your school already has a period designated for advisory or a study hall, this makes the process a lot easier, and you could assign different roles to different days. And when teachers realize they are actually getting more time with students by the addition of a flex period, they're going to get excited about it. So are there any other challenges or pushback to expect? Yes, but there will be less if things are well organized. In the first couple of years, schools have to be cognizant that they're going to have some hiccups. And most of those hiccups are going to come from the staff, the adults, and not the teacher, not the uh, students in there. When a school does develop their plan as far as what, when is going to happen, especially with regards to the movement and attendance, when that is not followed, you have a massive domino effect. Why are attendance and these times of movement so important? Because otherwise, you won't be able to keep track of students. This is often the biggest issue that comes up when a school tries to implement a flex period. Think about it. If your school has around 1,000 students, you know where they're supposed to go each period because they have a set schedule and because their teacher takes attendance. But once you add a flex period and allow students to make choices about where they're going, it gets a little more complicated. You have to have some kind of a system to be able to know where students are going and have teachers take attendance for those students. Besides that, are there any other procedures they have at John's school? And outside of those things, how much are administrators really in control? The system itself, really, you want to have minimal yet mandatory protocols put in place so it's smooth. Okay, so even someone who's brand new to the building can walk in and kind of just jump right into it. It's really a balance. There do need to be these policies and procedures, but not so many that it restricts what teachers and students can do or makes flex too complicated. Instead, there are a few solid procedures that are followed. 
You want enough protocols to keep things organized and set priorities. But other than that... Administration really needs to stay hands-off. That's the key. It doesn't mean that administration doesn't provide suggestions or know what's going on. John gets a little more specific. Our only protocols we have is an example. Okay, If a student has a D or an F, they have to be pulled on the priority day once a week, mandated. And aside from that, we leave it alone. You know, we pop into flex rooms all the time, but we know whatever's happening is phenomenal because on the back end of it, everything, again, I can't tell you enough, just, just continuously goes through it because we don't put certain parameters on it. We put certain parameters about what should and should not happen during flex, okay? But as far as what you can and cannot do instructionally and whatnot, absolutely not. You know, and we allow, and again, it's, that's a building philosophy here. You know, we allow the instructors to be very inductive with their thought process as well as the students of what can I do? What do I need? He really highlights this as a key to success. Sometimes schools try to implement a flex period or win time or something similar, and it doesn't work out long term. What could be one reason for that? Some of the schools do it a year or two, and then they, they throw the towel in. There's probably too many parameters that are put on or restrictions, so to speak. That is really difficult for leaders because they want to know what's happening in their building every second. Letting go of control might almost seem counterintuitive. How can you keep everything on track if you don't know exactly what's going on? Again, the point John made earlier is that there does need to be some protocols. What are the expectations? How are students going to get where they need to be? How is attendance going to be taken? But if all of those things are followed, there's still a lot of freedom. Administration helps monitor those things on the outside, but teachers can make choices and students can make choices about specifically how they're going to use that time. If you're a teacher, no doubt you like being trusted and also having the ability to create and do what you do best. No one likes being micromanaged. That leads to frustration and when it comes to a flex period is a sure way to kill excitement and student agency. But this hands-off approach for administration, letting students make choices and giving teachers space, from John's experience, is key to making flex time successful. You know, I have my teachers who have you know, been here since I've been here for going on four years now. And all they've done is take our present system and just magnify it on their own continuously. So basically what it does is it allows the strengths of that instructor to be magnified during that period and also work on the weaknesses. And, you know, to credit for them, they've also had tremendous more amount of risk takers, both with learners and teachers in the past two years. So for instance, I, I met with a teacher yesterday who's trying a whole bunch of new strategies, knowing that if they trip up, you know, she, she can rectify it during that time, during flex. You know, and that's what we want. We want intellectual risk takers more than anything else. And that applies to everyone, students, staff, and administration. In their school, there is this environment where everyone feels safe enough to take risks. But back to students specifically. What is one way they give students choice and teach them how to take ownership of their learning? With our freshman class, they're not really allowed. We kind of put this as an unwritten rule this year. We have the teachers that they're not really allowed to pull the ninth graders that much. They make them do it. They literally make the students do it on there. They'll communicate with the parents and everything too. But. This phrase, polling students, that John is using refers to teachers scheduling students for what to do during flex. As discussed earlier, there are certain parameters where that might happen. For example, if a student has a D or an F in math, their math teacher would pull them during flex for extra support. But overall, they've decided that these freshmen, 
brand new high schoolers have to make their own choices about where to go for flex. How has this worked out? They just left middle school five weeks ago, literally, you know, and now they understand the fact that they can literally navigate themselves on a daily basis to wherever they need to. And that system has not changed. It just allows more and more individuals who have strengths to progress and go to where they need. And individuals who otherwise really were wallflowers relying on adults for their support. Now they understand how they can, you know, help themselves out. It's clear that they found a system that works, but it's also clear that this is something that John is extremely passionate about and that's contagious. So what happens when school administration changes? I hate to say it, but it's true. Okay. Um, Fear does unite people, much like hate, unfortunately, and whatnot. The fear of not having it is enough to maintain that pace and that culture. It really is. But you do need that continuous reinforcement from the top down. It's a good reminder for administration as well that when change happens, they want to keep in mind how it's going to affect this time period. But when you have a successful flex period or win time period and the entire school is invested, they're not going to let it slip away easily. This was part two of a two-part series featuring John Weaver. And if you didn't already, go back and listen to part one, episode four, Why Create a Flex Period. He talks about the amazing benefits of creating a period like this within the school day for both students and teachers. Ultimately, whether you call it flex, win time, or some other name unique to your school, The primary benefit is clear. This is one thing that teachers always need, and it's time. Okay, the number one thing that teachers need and what kids need, they need time with my kids. That's it for this week's episode of Reimagining Time. This podcast is brought to you by Enriching Students, a tool that helps teachers give students what they really need, time. Our intro track, Rough Cut, is by the artist Tripwire, and we want to say thank you to all of the educators who shared their ideas and stories with us. Look for new episodes every two weeks on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, and more. Thank you for listening.